doing good to be here this morning already. It's uh, funny to be here this morning. <laughs> I'm not used to preaching to you. Um, it's kind of funny. I was reflecting on the fact that when you pick a wife, you don't really think of all the ramifications. You kind of focused on your girlfriend pretty heavily. But her sister's pick of a husband is pretty big important too, so... It's a good thing Jared, Jared and I get along. I appreciate him. All right. Yeah. All right. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter eight, no, 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. I have not been preaching very long, and so I don't know how long my sermons go yet. So this will be a surprise to all of us. Um, last, last time I preached, I uh, picked 1 Kings 18. And uh, I had, I got into it, and I was having a great time studying, and when I stood up to preach, and I started reading through the passage, I thought, oh no, this is really long. <laughs> Anyhow, so my sermon went a little longer than I expected, but I did check, this is not that long, so we should be good. All right, 1 Kings 19. So I'm going to read the whole passage and then I'm going to go back through verse by verse and just give commentary on it. My thought this morning, my question is this morning, is it okay to struggle? Is it okay to struggle? When I was, when I went to SMBI, uh, third and fourth term, I was, of course, very open and impressionable and one of the things they talked about was being messed up or being, you're feeling like struggling today. And it was kind of tied into being honest. Like people that were dishonest didn't struggle and those that were honest did struggle. And I was, I'm kind of a black and white kind of person. I'm not, I'm not a guy that does a lot of gray, all right? So I kind of grabbed a hold of this I'm trying to figure out what's going on here. And I did struggle. Typically, young people have a bit of a time figuring out what they were given and what life actually is and how those two mesh. There's quite a bit of thinking that goes on there. And we aren't always given exactly what we need to be successful. And so we seek and we learn from our elders and those things to find out. And I struggled. Uh, I didn't like being at SMBI in some ways. You're stuck in a dorm room with four other guys. You can hardly go to sleep. It's so exciting. And there's no animals. There's no pets. There's no nothing. And so the second term, I got some goldfish. And I stuck them on my little thing. And I took care of my goldfish, and I liked them. All right? I was not afraid of being a little weird, so I was the only person in the whole Bible school that had goldfish. And I thought the water was a little dirty, so I put a little drop of soap in there to clean it up. And they swam around really fast after that. <laughs> and then they stopped swimming. <laughs> and then I was sad. <laughs> and I struggled about my goldfish dying. And my one professor said, I think you're going to run into worse things than that, which has been true, actually, all right? <laughs> Although that was kind of a big deal. I didn't know what this was all about. As I get older, I find out that some people really don't struggle. Some people were all made differently, and I, I like to nail down how life is and what is going on. And some people don't struggle the way I do, and then I wonder, is it okay? Is it okay to struggle? 
So let's read chapter 19. This is right after uh, Elijah. So I was, I'm on a three-part series through, and I preached the first two parts. So you guys didn't get that, so I'll give you a little overview. But Elijah just got done with his biggest, one of the biggest events of his life, and that is bringing fire down on the altar in front of everybody. The, the whole group of people said, the Lord, he is the God. And they took the prophets, the false prophets that were there, they killed them, and they went back to uh, Jezreel, I think, and were celebrating and then it starts going the other way. So verse 19, or chapter 19, verse 1, 1 Kings. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me and more also. If I, not, if I make not thy life as the wife of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head and he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink, and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous of the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with a sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said unto him, said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abomolah, shalt thou be anoint, appoint to be prophet in thy room. It shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees of which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. So he departed thence. Okay, so we're just going to 18, actually. I'm sorry, I was going to do the whole chapter. Just to 18. So Elisha, Elijah had just spent the last 24 hours of his life in one of the most amazing displays of God's power that we have recorded in the Bible in front of a whole bunch of people. Now, Moses, we can arguably say, did more. Our Moses 
uh, had more incidents like this where God's power and strength was shown in a direct way in front of thousands and thousands of people. But few people in the Old Testament have, have, have any uh, claim to what Elijah did here. And the Bible says in James that Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And we lift up Elijah as a true example of a hero, and he is. Now, for every hero, we need a villain. And we got one. Her name is Jezebel. All right? And as I noted before, Jezebel is wicked, but Jezebel is not stupid. All right? And Jezebel, first of all, refuses to take some of her prophets to that conquest just in case they lose, and they do, and she was a good, she was a good point on her point, all right? And then second of all, she doesn't go herself. And third, once this thing is all done, she sends him a message. Now, she had all this at her disposal. Why in the world, if she was going to have him killed anyhow, why didn't she just send a soldier and kill him right on the spot? Well, I'll tell you why. It was because she couldn't do it. That's why. She knew she would never get away with it. This is a man who had just rallied thousands of people to his cause for God, and she was not going to get away with having him killed directly by one of her henchmen. That wasn't going to work. She wasn't that stupid. She was wicked, but she wasn't stupid. She knew she couldn't do that. And so she sent a threat to him to get him to run. And there was nothing that she could do except that. But it worked. I used to play a game, and I still do sometimes, I suppose, called Growly Bear or Angry Man. And the children want me to play it, okay, so be fair. And they, they, they run around and scream, and I pretend like I'm scary. And I've noticed that if I ever touch them, the game is over. They're not scared anymore. And so if they take a swing at me, I have to jump back and still roar at them in order for that fear to stay untouched. And that's exactly what Jezebel is doing here. She can't touch him, but she can scare him. And she does. Elijah runs. This is a real fear to him. Why does Elijah run? Can we give Elijah credit here? Not, not really. All right, we can't give Elijah credit here. Matthew Henry says, do we praise Elijah in this? No, we can't praise Elijah in this. He, he did actually fall here. He, he made a misstep. He's on the edge of the cliff and he, he stepped off the edge. He shouldn't have done it, but he did. He missed it, all right? What were his options at that point? Well, there was a couple of them he could have had. One of them was he could have waited on God's direction. He could have said, God, here I am. What do you want me to do? We know that God told him in the past what to do when he was in danger. He could have waited, but he didn't. We also know that one of the options he had was if she did send somebody to get him, he could just strike them with fire. And the reason we know that's true is because he did it later on. There was a king that sent 50 men to get him, and, 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 and Elijah said, if, they said, oh, man of God, you're coming with us. And he said, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down and destroy you. And it happened. 
Well, the next one came, and he said the same thing, and the same thing happened to him. And the third captain came, and he went up, and he got down his knees and said, I'm, he said, I'm begging you, <laughs> don't strike with a fire, please come. And then he came, all right? But we know that Elijah had options, but he didn't act like that. He left. He made a misstep, and he started running, and he ran, and he ran. He left his servant in Judah. Why did he leave Judah? Were they going to send somebody into Judah to get him? He's running from Israel into Judah. He's running through Judah out in the wilderness, and he gets out there. It's amazing. Now, all this energy, his speed, apparently he was a fairly athletic man. He, used, he, beat, uh, he, he beat Ahab's horses into the city. Remember that? He just outrun them with the, with the, with the, uh, the energy of God. And um, he, he is, he's really going for it. Have any of you made a misstep already, especially after a really big event and you're just wiped out emotionally and physically and somebody says something and you just got something you could have taken before, you just kind of like, you just like free fall. I can feel for Elijah here. I can feel for him. I, I, I do that. I do that. Some of us are here they seem to live a life of pretty steady, faithful service. They aren't given to flower speeches, bold proclamations. They don't go up. They don't really go down. They just kind of stay in the middle. And Elijah isn't that kind of guy. He's the kind of guy that gets up front, and he really can go to town. But he's also given to pretty dark despair, apparently. And I just want to encourage you, no matter who you are, that God made you the way you are and trying to be the other person isn't going to work for you. It isn't going to work for you. Elijah served God out of who he was, how God made him, and it, 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 was, it was what he was supposed to do. We will not blossom as servants of God if we wish we are made like somebody else. And for those of you who kind of go up and kind of go down and go like that, and you're not quite so steady, I'll give you a tip. If you try to cut off your tops, you're, just, you're not going to cut off your bottoms. You're just going to cut off the tops, all right? You're just going to go down and to the middle, all right? So you might as well just enjoy the ride and go all the way up when you go at the top, all right? Just making sure you understand that. Not, of us, not all of us is made the same way. Okay, so verse 4, he goes into the wilderness a day's journey, sits down under a juniper tree, and he says something very fascinating, I am not better than my father's. Who of you wants to do better than what your dad did? I did. I kind of still do. But that is a bad primary motivation. And I think that Elijah actually doesn't change very much from the Mount Carmel till now. But I think that God used him on Mount Carmel, and I think that God is trimming some branches off that actually aren't going to be very helpful. One of them was the motivation doing better than his dad, and another thing was the idea that I, even I, only am left alone. He said that on Mount Carmel, right in front of everybody. He said, I'm the only person left serving God, basically. I'm the only prophet of the Lord left standing. And God was using this experience to trim off those wrong things. Why do we struggle? Is it okay to struggle? I can't say that it's okay to struggle. I also think that in the world we live in, with how we are, we are going to struggle. And the question is, what do you do when you do struggle? 
What, how are you gonna move through that? What is your motivation in the struggle? How are you going to process the struggle? Elijah does the right thing. He goes to God and he tells God everything and he tells God exactly what he wants and he leaves it in God's hands. He says, let me die. And he gets down and he goes to sleep. He is sick of being alive. He doesn't even want to be alive anymore. And what does the angel do? He wakes him up because he was sleeping so hard and he gives him some food. Well, that wasn't an answer to prayer. Not the answer he was looking for, right? He was looking for death. He was looking for just being done. And what? He's getting food? See, God doesn't always give us what we want. Thank God he doesn't. There are so many situations in my life where I prayed for God to come through for me and give me what I wanted, and boy, am I deeply grateful he did not do that. Hallelujah, right? Amen. And so I'm just really excited when God does not answer every prayer we have. But he went to God. He told him all his heart. He did not pull back one thing, and God took care of him. And you did not have to be afraid about asking for God's will. You ask for what you want, and he will give you his will as long as you're open to it. So he did. I think it's really fascinating that God took care of him in his overwhelming sadness and despair. He took him from wanting to die to barely being okay with being alive. And I think that if you're counseling or you're with a friend who has gone through a tremendously traumatic experience or has really deeply devastated, and you give them a little bit of food and some friendship, and they don't feel like dying anymore, but they're not happy, it's okay. Just get them to the next, just get them above that one level, right? Just help them and just sit with them through these experiences. This is what the angel did. The angel did not say, now why aren't you happy? What is your problem? God is taking care of you and you just still feel like numbness and despair and you're still feeling sad about yourself. Angel didn't do any of those things. The angel came beside him, gave him a little bit of food and, gave, and, and did it twice actually. I think it's okay for people, not just me, to struggle. It's okay for us to help them through the situation. If we were perfect from the get-go, we would not struggle, but we're not. And that model we had of how life is and reality don't jive. And when, they break, when, they, when our model breaks, we're going to be in a little bit of a pit of despair, trying to figure out what went wrong. What is going on here? I thought that if I served God in this one way, I would get this result, and I'm not getting it. What is up? You're upside down. You don't understand what's going on. And you might even understand what's going on. You might know where you stepped off the cliff emotionally, and now you're kind of tumbling. How do you get back? What do you do? Keep on going. That's the answer. Keep on going. The angel of the Lord, and so here's another thing. John Copeland has likened a depressed go this to a depressed person going through counseling. He said that very often a person will tell him after he's been counseled through a long time, the person would say, you know what kept me going through this whole thing? And John will say, no, I, I don't know. He says, well, and they'll say some small thing that John told them way back at the beginning that he doesn't even remember saying, and that was the truth that kept them going through that whole long journey. He, says, he said, here I was counseling this person all this time, and I thought I was doing it, and they were just hanging on to that one thing that kept them going this whole time. He said, God gave them that. 
And we want to acknowledge that when we look back on our journeys of, of wilderness and despair, we say, wow, God gave me that little piece to keep me going through that whole thing. I'm very grateful. So he arose, verse 8, he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights. Do you think he slept at night when he was depressed like this and he was whining around? I don't know. I know that when I'm really upside down, it's hard to sleep. There was a Mennonite lady that told my mother that she went through a divorce. Um, and her husband left her, I guess. And, and anyhow, she stayed Mennonite. She was a real encouragement to me. But she went through a divorce. She couldn't sleep at night. She went to the doctor and said, what do I do? He said, you don't have to sleep at night. He said, you lay, lay down, close your eyes, and lay still. And that will get you enough rest to function. And I have found that when I've really, really wound up, and I just cannot go to sleep, that that is a way to function through a very stressful time. The funny thing about it is, if you can't sleep, and you want to go to sleep, your brain wakes you up to see if you're sleeping. That's kind of a problem, right? They've noticed that. Your brain actually has a little timer that goes around and says, is the guy sleeping? Hey, I think he's trying to sleep. Is he sleeping? Uh, nope. <laughs> Okay. So, so, if you focus more on closing your eyes and laying flat and being still, that you can check on without, and then just soon you are sleeping, all right? Anyhow, so, just a little tip there. If there's anybody else that's struggling with that. All right, so he came to a cave. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And I find it really fascinating what he says, and he says it twice, word for word. How many of us do that? We get in a rut, our boat has a leak, and we can't get out of it, and we're bailing water, and all we say to ourselves constantly is the same thing. Same thing. And it's not working for us, we keep saying it. He says, I have been very jealous to the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. I am the last of the people. Everyone else is against me. Is there anything more desolate than being utterly alone? Is there anything more terrifying than having nobody beside you? How did he get to this place? He walked there. Isn't that crazy? He feels alone because he is alone. Well, why is he alone? Because he felt alone. He thought he was the only one left, and so he left his servant in Judah and walked out into the wilderness alone. His internal model of reality became reality. And so we need to be careful sometimes about that. Sometimes we need to question our internal model and say, is this really true or am I just thinking it's true and then making it true after all? God doesn't argue with him. God doesn't challenge him. God just says, go out, stand in front of the Lord. And I, I, I'm grateful what God did here. He says, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, 
But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a still, small voice. So we have here three tremendous and amazing events. I, I've never seen that. God never put that show on for me, all right? I've been out in the woods a long time. I've been out in nature quite a few times. I've never had those three things happen to me. And Elijah actually pulled down fire. God, he, God answered with fire to show his favor and approval of Elijah just a little bit ago. It's 45 days, within the last 45 days. But God was not in the fire. And we need to remember that. All the things that God has done for us, he is not in them. Uh, do you have a good family? Are you a blessing? Yeah, but God's not, that's not God. God is not in the blessing. God is the blessing. He gives us blessings, right? And after that is a little small voice. And when Elijah heard it, he went out. He was probably, a fam- he was probably, he was probably used to this small spill voice. He probably had heard it before. And he went out. And the voice says, what are you here for? What are you doing? And again, he reiterates the same tired thing. A still small voice is a breaking thing. That quiet, gentle, still voice is something that is hard to resist. A man can take swearing, a woman can take screaming, but a still small voice breaks people in a way that nothing else will. And so when we're witnessing and we're trying to get people to come to Jesus, I think it's something to think about. That still, small voice can be useful in breaking people. Gentle, quiet questions can help us through our confusion and struggle. And again, have any, have any of you ever done this to God? Have any of you just stayed on the same track of winding round and round, just repeating the same tired mantra over and over and not getting anywhere? Is that just me? I guess it is, sorry. <laughs> okay, I'm just checking, all right? I guess I'm the only one, but anyhow, all right? And God says to him three things. He gives him three tasks to do. Anoint uh, Haziel, anoint Jehu, and anoint Elisha. And I find it interesting. Here's a man coming to God in his honesty and in his struggle. He comes to God actually supported by God. There's no way he could have gotten there without God's help. He has told God everything And God is working with him, but it doesn't look like it. God gives him three things to do first, before he feels any relief. Obedience comes before understanding why the obedience needs to happen, okay? We look back and we're like, oh, that's why God wanted me to obey. And that's helpful. And even to those who are today struggling or maybe are having a tough time, doing the right thing is a good idea, even if you don't feel like it. When you are struggling and depressed and emotionally exhausted, 
The truth doesn't give you an emotional response. You don't feel it at first. And so sometimes I think I get off in the ditch of, well, I just need to do what's right. It doesn't matter how I feel. That's not actually what I'm saying. I am not saying you just do what's right. Don't care about how you feel. I am not going there. God knows your struggle. He cares about your struggle. He has truth to help you through your struggle, but he wants obedience. And then as we do that, the understanding begins to come. And we want to meditate on what is true. It's a two-pronged approach. It is obedience and a continuing to work through what did I think wrong. Together, this obedience and meditation on God's truth or what's happening here, they move you forward to holy joy, all right? You begin to feel hope. You start to sense like, oh, this is different. God does have a plan. And then God kind of gives him the last punch right at the end. Verse 18, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees of which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. 7,000 people. 7,000. He is not the only one left. There's 7,000 people. Have any of you ever been to a place where you saw 7,000 people one time? I don't know. Uh, unless you've been to a football game or a mat, or and you don't want to raise your hand about that, do you? All right. Um, I know that the, that, the, uh, that, that the big arena in Harrisburg uh, with the farm show has 5,000 people. All right? That's a lot of people. When you walk in there, you can't even sing a song as a group. I think they tried to do it one time in some religious uh, event tried to sing songs, they didn't work. You know why? Because it was so big that when you sang hallelujah over here, you were hearing it halfway across. It was just, it, it was so big, all right? 7,000 people, that's a lot of people. The core foundation of Elijah's complaint was wrong. But God did not give him that piece of information until he gave him something to do. And so, is it okay to struggle? I will tell you this. It is not going to help if you beat yourself up for struggling while you're struggling. That ain't going to help. When you're in a struggle, you just have the humility to say, I slipped up. Something that I thought was true is not true. And here I am. God, help me. What do I do? He will help you. He is not. He will help you think through it. The core tenet of Elijah's complaint was incorrect. He was not alone. He was not. There were 7,000 people. He had, and with that one piece of information, he now had a a mantra. He now had something to do. He was not just going to single-handedly bring fire down from heaven and turn the whole place, whole nation back to God in one fell swoop. No. He was going to go back. He was going to travel around. He was going to build up a school of prophets. He was going to restore what the people and discourage and strengthen the 7,000 who were still here. His job was no longer this idea of just single-handedly in one event turning the whole nation back to God. His new challenge, his new administration was to encourage those who were already there. 
it would be a rough life. But he did not have to struggle through the rest of his life. He was not going to be wandering around the desert wondering, God, what do I do? This is terrible. He's not going to feel those feelings of deprivation and aloneness all his life. This is the end of it. And so is it okay to struggle? Yes. It is okay to struggle through. It is okay to struggle through. God will help you. Is it fun in the middle? No, it's not fun in the middle. I look back on my last week. I had struggles. I remember feeling completely upside down. I was preparing for this message. Actually, I had already prepared for this message. And I didn't preach it. And then I'm like, well, here I was going to preach about Elijah and his struggle. And I'm struggling. All right? I'm the one that's upside down. And I know where I slipped off the boat. And I still can't get back in. All right? And God helps us back out. He will help you back out. It is not the end. He had a better understanding now than he did. He knew where he fit in the picture, and his struggle was gone. Although it was not going to be an easy life, internally, he had a much closer a model of what reality was. God cared for him. God was going to take care of him. It was going to be tough, but he had hope and joy inside. Turn to Romans 5, 3 through 5 in closing. Romans 5, 3 through 5. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which was given unto us. This is why I'm not ashamed of Elisha here for going to a deep hole of depression. I am not. All right? And I'm not ashamed of you either. All right? This is how you get to the hope. This is how you get through it, because you have experience. He learned something through experience he never forgot again. He developed a patience through an incredibly difficult experience that gave him hope. There is not one situation that happens to the child of God that cannot bring him closer to God himself. None. There's nothing that happens to you. God will use every situation to bring you closer to him. The answer doesn't come right away all the time. And we're talking days and weeks and months and sometimes years. But God has a plan. In closing, I want you to know something. You are not forgotten by God himself. And there are thousands of people who are love him. You are not alone. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the way you took care of Elijah here and his despair and depression. Sometimes, Lord, he had bad attitudes and wrong thoughts. But you helped him. He took his stuff to you and you did not answer all his prayers. But you took care of him. And God, we thank you. We thank you that you care about us, and we thank you that we are not alone. In Jesus' name, amen.